Riding the airwaves with all the queer you can handle. It's the Queer Centric. And here's Johnny. Hello, everyone. It is Johnny, your favorite host, of course, for another version, another episode of the Queer Centric. This is going to be a really fun one. I've been wanting to uh, talk to this gentleman for a while. And uh, just to prove it, here is a very well-worn book. Everybody in my camera can see right there. Um, It has dog ears. I mean, I really enjoyed it. But I want to say author, producer, actor, artist, human, and cancer survivor, Edward Miskey joins us to talk about his book, Cancer, Musical Theater, and Other Chronic Illnesses. Marking his 10-year anniversary, Cancer Free, he unflinchingly shares the medical and mental and self-evolving journey that few really ever talk about. And I know I am very honored that he has chosen to talk with me today. So we want to welcome to the show, Edward Miskey. Hello. Hey, hello. (laughs) I'm so excited. You have been on uh, everybody's podcast in the whole entire world. Uh, And I'm so (laughs) glad that we've made the list because, I mean, this is a big deal. Your book, this is the 10th anniversary Mm -hmm. of uh, you being cancer free. So this is the second uh, edition of this book. And I want to start by saying, like I showed the viewers uh, the book that I actually, actually read. This is not fake news. Um, I have to say, I am amazed by it. Like, I felt bad saying I enjoyed this book because you're like, ah, but you, you have a knack in this book of, uh, sharing some very real information, very real story of what you went through. And yet it's, it's entertaining when you do it. Like I enjoyed every aspect of reading it. Uh, but it, it, it is, a. I had to keep reminding myself, this is a real story and this is rough. So for listeners who don't know, let's start with, can you give us a brief breakdown of the book? Sure. I mean, kind of the language that I've been using around it is that it is a fantasy nonfiction musical theater fever dream about being a cancer patient and survivor. And I really just don't know a better way to describe it. <laughs> I mean, that's very accurate. Very. Yeah. I mean, because and the, the thing of it is, too, like, even though reading through it, it is very ridiculous and heightened and all of the things that are happening around you feel so chaotic. I didn't really change anything in any of the stories. Like the points of the stories and the function of the story is what actually happened. Um, The thing that, the thing that feels heightened about it is that I've placed every, I've placed the scenario within a a specific musical and that's the world, that's the world in which you live, but everything that happened happened. And like, I didn't really embellish much at all and it's insane and is it is it weird to silently wish in my heart that this is actually a musical (laughs) because it should be on broadway i mean that's your world anyways but it is so i just love uh the whole aspect and it is a fever dream and yet you share a lot of truths in this and because i mean that's a very vulnerable thing for you to do why did you choose to do that because i was really upset at how long it took me to normalize and even like, I mean, even now have I normalized? I don't know. Um, Certainly talking about this regularly as I do now on podcasts and and other things has helped that process a little bit, but you know, coming out of the hospital, a lot of the things that had happened to me and even during treatment, I wasn't really like privy to it. You know, no one said, Oh, this is going to happen. Oh, this could be a thing. 
um, there was no real support, at least not like boots on the ground. I've been through this kind of support. Um, And it wasn't until years later that I was talking to someone who was fresh out of treatment that I was like, oh my God, I am not crazy. Like this actually happened and this is actually how I felt. And so I, I decided I didn't know what I wanted to do with that period of my life. I always felt like I would do something. A book kind of seemed far-fetched for me at the time. Um, but that's kind of exactly what happened. <laughs> so. Right. Well, you are, I mean, just to read this, uh, for the people who are going to run out and get this book as you should, um, nothing is far-fetched for you. I don't, you have no problem thinking very large and just, at least that's the, the idea that we get from you as you're, I mean, it's like you're, you're trailblazing your own way. You talk about a couple of moments where you're kind of surprised when you meet people who get it. I mean, this is a rare form of cancer, but you barrel through it. And one of the things I wanted to talk about is there's um, what I would consider kind of a heartbreaking story. Uh, People took it in different ways. I mean, it's happening to you. And yet people who were your friends seem to be reacting differently. One, of course, in particular, uh, uh, your friend who you see on the street, you let him know, and then you see him later. Can you talk to me about what the reaction was like and what kind of you took away from people's different reactions to your life? Um, It was, um, I think at first it was very heartbreaking and eye-opening while it was happening, but it also just was kind of one of those things where it's like, well, this is what's happening. And if you're not on board, then goodbye. And I don't have time to explain otherwise or beg you to be around. Um, And I've started to kind of like channel that feeling in other parts of my life in a good way. Um, You know, I think a lot of times with, you know, the kind of work that I do with social media and marketing, and then also the the life of this book and the forward inertia that we have with that, you know, it's kind of like, I didn't create this for my friends. And so if they're not on board, like, that's okay, you don't need to be on board, but I'm going to continue moving forward with this. And I think that that is an attitude that a lot of us should take on in other parts of our lives in general, because like, I'm not here for you. Like, I, I love you and you're my friend and and whatever right. relationship we have, like, I value it. It's why I choose to spend time with you and why you choose to spend time with me and right. have that reciprocal friendship. But like, I'm, I'm like that, all that said, like how I function and what I do is not for you or your benefit. Exactly. That's not what I've created this for. Plus, it doesn't change the fact that you don't get to be like, oh, you don't like it. Well, I'm going to go home. I'll just do something else. This is your life. You know what I mean? It's like, right. this, that's not an option for you. So I, I almost feel like I know you're not like born and raised in New York, but it's a very New York kind of way to <laughs> well, approach it. I have, I have been here a very long time. <laughs> I feel like aside of actually being born and raised here, I, I often joke that um, I was born in Pennsylvania, but I was raised in New York. Um, I feel like this is true for you. Because I moved here at 18 and I was alone and I didn't have any money or friends or plans or jobs or I didn't, I didn't go to college. And so it was just kind of like, okay, let's figure it out and make it happen. And, you know, it's been 18 solid years as of last week that, uh, that I've been doing that. So it's kind of, I think, safe to say that I'm a New Yorker. I think it's very safe to say that. And so let's uh, go right to the beginning of this. I mean, you were immersed, you you were in love with theater, you loved acting and you were good at it and you were booked for these shows um, and that was your life. And then out of nowhere, of course, uh, this kind of 
takes you I because you weren't even were you in Reno? I'm trying to remember when it began. I was it was right before Reno. It's it's sort of I had left Ohio. I was doing hairspray in Ohio and I'd left yeah. there to go home to see my parents when I found this little baby lump the first time. And um the first time, the only time I found it and it stayed there. And yeah. uh <laughs> and then I had left. Uh I was in New York for a couple of weeks rehearsing uh for the next version of hairspray that I was doing that was going to be in Reno. And then once I was out in Reno, it was 18 weeks of of watching this thing grow. Right. And the fear, you're really good at uh kind of conveying that weird manic panic, basically, because you don't know what this is. All you want to do is keep doing what you're doing. And this thing is getting in the in the way. I mean, what made you so you even named him, uh, yeah. named it. What made, I mean, I think that probably added levity uh to the situation, but what made you decide I'm gonna I'm gonna just embody this as a person give it a persona um it was it wasn't an intention it just was a moment that happened you know like it was um i was in reno uh i had gone to an emergency room to have it um uh what's it called not ultrasound yeah ultrasound yeah yeah, yeah. that's the thing where they take the thing and they wipe it all your on you with the exactly. gel stuff yes. right and um my friend brian used to come up on uh, Sunday nights after the show and then we would drive to Sacramento together so I could get out of Reno and like spend right. some time not in Reno and um, you know there's not a lot to do there and no. and so like I went to this emergency room they kind of gave me this list of things that it could be and we joked that it would have been like a teratoma and it was gonna like grow teeth and eyes and hair right. and whatnot like the, that joke in my big fat creek wedding yes and um, you know it just was this moment where <laughs> Where he goes, well, you're going to have to name it. And I just <laughs> thought that was so ridiculous and funny. And at the same time, like Little Shop was playing on the TV at the bar we were at. And uh, we just yeah. were like, all right, it's going to be Seymour. And we had a good laugh about it. And, and that was that was it. <laughs> right. And then Seymour stepped around. And he stuck I have around. to say, he put up a good fight. Yeah. Yeah. But you won and that's what matters. Um, what is fascinating is this book also just things that people would have to deal with a $3,000 bill, all these things that are blocking this man who needs this treatment. And yet it's this little thing that there, I was so angry in that moment because you, you were able to convey the frustration and the, and I remember, so what is it, has it changed or, or over time, the way you look at healthcare, because wow, it, it was quite interesting. I mean, I think that was kind of the first real eye-opening experience I had in that capacity where, like, there was a barrier to entry, you know, yeah. like, and and especially in New York, because, like, there's a lot of free options here. Right. Um, there's a lot of social programs. There's, like, the, there's a bunch of, like, gay men-specific clinics here that you can go to. There's the free clinic for just, like, basic stuff. And, of course, I had, like, a, a regular, like, GP doctor that I'd go to, like, once a year. Right. Um, you know, unless I, unless I needed to do something else, in which case I'd go to a clinic or whatnot, but it was always right. just kind of like, you know, you did the thing, you got the bill, you paid it later at the end. And that was very exactly. normal. It was very normal. And so this was the first time that it was like, you know, ye shall not pass. <laughs> right. Yeah. We don't and, care uh, that you have this big thing. Yeah. yeah. And what's, what's really funny to kind of bring this into present day, I co-parent a dog with my neighbor and um you know because neither of us are responsible enough to take on a full dog 
Uh, it takes time. a village. It, <laughs> it does. <laughs> She's lovely. And case in point, you know, the other week she was um she wasn't eating and she was kind of like woozy and like not standing up straight and she was throwing up water that she was drinking. Oh. Yeah. And we were like, this is bad. So I took her down to an emergency room and, um, you know, a 24-hour pet clinic. Right. And they saw her and they did the thing. And they basically were like, there's a big blockage. They did an x-ray. They're like, we're going to have to, like, do an endos- endoscopy. Right. And if that doesn't go how we need it to, we're going to have to do surgery. And we're like, okay, fine, figure it out. And they right. would not start unless it was paid for. And oh then what really pissed me off is that, she was already unconscious. Like dog was out. They had done the endoscopy. They couldn't make leeway on what they needed to remove. They realized it was way bigger than they anticipated. And so they needed to do surgery. This dog is unconscious on a table, unconscious, like non-responsive. And they wouldn't move her into surgery until we paid for it. And this was like a a $9,000 surgery. And so the two of us are just standing there like, yeah can we'll we'll think look we're not going to run go take her into surgery what the fuck are you doing right and it was totally a flashback to this moment you're talking about where i couldn't go get my treatments done that i needed to have done the tests and the scans unless i paid for it and it's just like what in what in the world and so my attitude i guess to your question is that it hasn't changed because nothing else has changed if anything it's gotten worse yeah which is terrifying and i have to say uh, in moments like that, I see them as they're, uh, they're more than just a fork in the road. There's all these options that could happen, all of these storylines that could happen. And so uh, thankful when they can happen. I mean, it was a fight for you, but you were able to go down. And it makes me sad to think about that that's not everybody's story. And I have to say, no. go ahead. Yeah. No, well, I was going to say it was, it's, it's, you know, th- thank God for the the family I have and the position that they were in, that they were able to, my mom was able to put a a credit card down to pay for it because like you said, that's not everyone's situation. And if that would not have been the case, right. What would have happened? You know, I would be dead. Like (laughs) I was going to say two strong pillars in your book are your parents. And it's fascinating. First of all, in the book, they are just, they're calm. They get things done. You know what I mean? And I think that's amazing. My family, it, we would all be lit on fire. We can't do it. But <laughs> they were there. Your mom, all the stories you tell your mom who's in the hospital room, in the, that is insane. That, how were they? Did you find out anything later? Like, were they, was it under the surface? They're calm for you because they need you. <laughs> um. No, I mean, in general, they're both pretty level-headed people, you know? Yeah. And, and as as crazy as I can be, I think in the and at the core, I'm pretty level headed. You know, nothing really yeah. gets to me in in that way. And um, my dad's a little more hot headed, but he's he's not easily set off. Yeah. And um, you know, and I've seen my mom's temper, like you know, when I was a kid. But as right. as adults and whatnot, they're very like, okay, this is the thing we need to get do this. This is how we do it, and this is what we're gonna do. And here we go. And the two of them were just an insurmountable source of strength and normalcy and just like nothing was wrong. And I, and I think about that sometimes too, because they they never let on that anything was wrong. They were just there because I was there. And of course they were going to be there and they were going to do anything to make sure that I was okay. Right. And that ranges from anywhere from just like 
physically sitting in a room to going through the paperwork and the notes and the bills and the yeah. recommendations and the protocols and the medical stuff. And my mom works with that stuff on a daily basis. Yeah. So again, super lucky right. um, to have her. But it was, you know, I didn't find out until later when I asked them um, specifically, we were talking about this and uh, there was, there's a moment where my right, like oblique side felt like it was going to explode out of my body. And, you know, I was clinging onto the hospital bed in like complete spasm, like didn't know what was happening. They gave me morphine, which I was allergic to. And like, that didn't know the whole thing. And my mom told me later that she thought that that was it. She oh, was wow. like, she was holding my hand while this was happening, and she just had like prepared herself for that to be it. Well, it was yeah. a, it's a very intense moment that you talk it about. Wa- it was, and, yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. And then what I find fascinating also is, so you're dealing with this is a, a a rare form of cancer. This is a very aggressive form of cancer, and yet you seem to have a determination throughout the whole process to continue to live as best you can and to keep, you know, have people over, have the parties, have, what is it? Was it ever a conscious moment or is that just the spirit that you have? I I think it was a combination of both. Um, You know, that comes from the move into New York at 18 with, (laughs) with nothing (laughs) to figure out, Um, you know, where it, it just was like, I didn't want that to control me. I didn't want to right. be the sick kid. I didn't want to have, that's why another reason I didn't tell anybody that it was happening, like right. just my close, close circle of friends and family. I didn't want to be the sick kid. I didn't want this to get me down. I still wanted to live, um, right. you know, and, and so like, I just, the, the way I describe it to people is that I, I was leading cancer along on, I was dragging cancer along on a leash instead right. of the, instead of the other way around, even though exactly. at times it absolutely felt like it was dragging me around. Yeah. Um, I very much felt as if though I, me personally had control over my situation. Right. And I think part of that kind of like allowed me the space and the bandwidth and the energy to win over that. Right. Um, and, and I think I, I figured out in talking to, you know, other people in interviews that the parties and the other things that were just normalcy to me were necessary and I needed them. Right. But I also think that on some level I wanted, and maybe I didn't realize that th- this at the time, but it's certainly how I view it now, that I wanted to have good memories of that period of time. Right. So that I could look back at them and be like, you know what, that was really fun. Right. And, and also on the uh, the other side of that too, had I not made it, that my friends would have had moments to look back at and say, that was really fun. And he's not here, but do you remember when we did whatever? Right. Um, you know, and I don't know if I consciously did that then. That's how I view it now. But I just wanted, I just wanted to be normal and I wanted to see my friends and do the things that I would have done had this not been the case, you right. know. I feel like we're we're in our culture, we are basically told, well, if you ever get sick, you are required to act this way. And you did the exact opposite of that. You know, you need to act sad. You need to, I mean, you're not going to feel well, obviously, but you know, you made that exerted effort to be like, fuck that. I'm not going to go put a shawl over my head and stand in a, you know, a corner with the lights off. No. Well, and I mean, to be fair, I, I 
did wear hats, which was never a thing that I really did. And I did, yeah. avoid, I did avoid being seen in public in places where I was not comfortable. Like my friend Brooks yeah. Bar, that was a place that I was comfortable. I knew people there. Right. It was it was cool. Um, it was one of the reasons why we had parties in my hospital room in my apartment. So I wouldn't yeah. have to go out because I didn't, you know, instead of wearing the shawls and, and being a sick person, whatever, I hid. Right. You know, yeah. I, I yeah. hid because again, I didn't want to be seen as the sick person. And God forbid someone in like the industry in which I worked saw me. Right. And rumor got around, you know, like there were already rumors flying amongst our not close friends. Yeah. Um, someone that I had worked with, I think I mentioned this in the book, someone that I had worked with in one of the hairsprays had told everyone that I was like dying of AIDS and I was lying yeah. about having cancer and all this other shit, yeah. which is like, first of all, like, fuck you, man. Like, you don't know right. me like that and you weren't there and you don't know what's up. Exactly. And also I have the last laugh now. So <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you do. Yeah. You've had that. You've got that last laugh for uh, a few years now, which is how to do it. One yeah. of the other things that I love uh, is that you, you, you know, I mentioned, or I, I alluded to it so unapologetically talking about things that I don't think I have ever seen someone with cancer talk about, which is you talk about the, the problems with sex and making sure everything's working. And you talk about um, the conflicting truths is what I call it between to masturbate or not to masturbate, <laughs> which is a whole thing in the book. It so is, yeah. why it, those are, I, those are things I would have never known. Why choose to say, you know what, this is it. This is how it works. Because again, like I wasn't told. And I think having experienced this and being on the other side of it, there's so many things that you just make assumptions about as yeah. a non-cancer experiencing patient person right. that if and if and when it would happen to you, it's like, wait a minute, that's not what, you know, this TV show or this movie was like, or, right. you know, my aunt, my aunt, whomever that I see twice a year had it. And that's not how it was for her. Right. And I, I really wanted to hit those points home. And I think the, the, big ones for me were dating sex and relation dating and relationship sex and also recovery and like yeah. how recovery is so much harder than being an actual patient itself and that those were all things that were surprises to me like yeah that, because because i think the hospital to a degree and certainly myself stopped viewing me as a person and started viewing you as just a patient so all of those right. things make you feel things and want things and are human like relationship sex etc they go away but they don't like they go away exactly. to the people around you because how could you possibly be thinking about that at this time right right but like I, you know, I was 25 years old and, and, you know, I was hot at one point during that period of time, well, before that period of time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I was getting my jollies in my twenties and then right? this happened and it was like, well, I still want to do it, but like, right. regardless of how I feel at this moment, like, is this the end for me? Have I had sex for the last time? Have I dated right. for the last time? Like what? And I, it was, it was also like that panic of like, oh my God, I don't want it to be the last time. Exactly. And, 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 and there's not ever... a lot of conversation around that. And so that, no. was, that was so important for me to include. And it, I, it was very eye opening, and I think important as part of the story. I have to say, was there ever a final verdict? You have this amazing nurse at one point uh, near to the beginning that says uh, you need to masturbate. It's going to help this. And then we find out when you're, you know, they're doing all of the stuff in the room, you're locked in for your, you know, keeping your immune system safe. And then someone says, oh no, it could, you know, 
can do a lot of damage. Was there ever a final verdict afterwards that you found <laughs> out what is what is the truth? No, I never asked. I think I think um just I guess my educated guess there <laughs> is um it it's circumstantial specific, you know, like right. in the in the beginning, like yes, chemo was happening and things were starting to decline, but I, it was still early on. I still had my hair. It was my first time in the hospital. You know, there wasn't any real danger per se with that. Right. Um, the second time when they were like, no, don't do it. You know, like that was more, um, that was more in the dire exiting the dire moment. Yeah. Um, and into the transplant. And certainly like when you don't have blood counts and like you're, you could like bruise from like someone touching you the wrong yeah. way when you think about the function of what an actual orgasm is with like blood, blood cell or blood dilation and, and right. all of that and swelling of things, you know, you, like you could really damage yourself. And thankfully all I got was a hernia or a hemorrhoid, but, uh, but it could have been really worse. Yeah. Yeah. I was exactly. going for it. And, but like, it could have been worse. It could have been a brain hemorrhage. It could have been like, you know, yeah. an eye bleed. It could have been internal bruising. Like it could have been a lot of things, but I was lucky, yeah. but you know, I, I've always been kind of a defiant little asshole. So if you tell me I can't do it, I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, right? okay. Exactly. We'll Which I that. sort of think the defiant little asshole part of you is why you are still here with us. <laughs> I, I agree to a point. You know, I I I feel like I know when to when being a defiant little asshole is okay. Yeah. And yeah. when it's not and when you need to, like, fall in line. And right. I very much walked that tightrope during the, that period of time. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing is, and which I love, so um, you talk about being young. and I have never been that uh, young and hot. I've always just been me. And I love me, by the way. I don't but believe what that. Is- you don't believe that i don't believe you at all (laughs) i think we're all i think we are all so terribly uh judgmental and and picky at ourselves even now i'm like you know i look back at photos of me when i was like 27 and i'm like you fat fucking piece of shit get your shit together but then i'm also comparing myself to a body that i had after cancer which is like not fair you right. know, like I can't be at my cancer weight when I'm actually a healthy human being. Yeah, exactly. Why am I making? Why am I drawing that comparison? Right. And this so is I, perfect so I don't believe you, and I'm sorry to have interrupted <laughs> you, but I, I just wanted no, to. Dra- I just wanted to drag you for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down. I'm in for it. Uh, that brings up a good point, though. One, there's a very poignant moment um, in the book that you were having to reaccept your body and you're with some friends and there's that vulnerability and that insecurity. Do you remember that moment? Does that stay with you? I don't, I don't think it does consciously. It's not something I think about on the daily, but that was definitely a turning point. Um, You know, I, that, that like gay resort nudist camp thing is, is still alive and kicking and they've gotten much, much bigger since, since I was going, but that was, and, and they'll, they'll maybe never know this, but that was such a formative summer because it was it was new everything was new you know i i was in the best shape of my life going into it and coming out right. of it i just felt like this saggy skeletor it was so weird right. it was this really strange feeling like i was all tits and collarbone it was very weird well i have to um, say just witnessing through reading you're you're finding yourself again you finding some confidence again in these moments, in these people who accept you exactly who you are. That's a beautiful moment, you know, that I think uh, anybody who reads it 
it's something we all can relate to on some level of wow, you know. Well, and and I will also say too, I mean, I know everyone can be like this, but I'll speak specifically to the gay community because that is in, in fact, you know, right. the community to which I belong um, or don't belong, depending on how you flip it. But right. um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think we are always going to be harder on ourselves and making the assumption that people are looking at you in a particular way isn't fair to you, you know, and, and aside of the whole, who cares what other people think about me, like that whole, that what other people think about me is none of my business. Right. Right. Um, you know, that I, I think I went into that, um, that little resort thing in the Poconos, like so nervous that I was going to be looked at in a particular way and then getting there and realizing that there were all kinds of people there and no one was looking and no one gave a shit. And it was just my own ego garbage bullshit expectation of myself that was tripping me up. And I still do it to this day, you know, like that's not a, that's not a wound that has healed. Right. You know, that is, that is a daily thing that I like, you know, I put on a shirt and I'm like, this fit better two months ago. What's going on? Yes. Um, you know, and beat myself up. And that's just that is just me and me. That has nothing to do with anybody else. And I think a lot of times we see all of these gentlemen on the internet who yes. um are, you know, wearing nothing. And God bless them, I follow them all. Right? But yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just such a false expectation because either you were born weighing nothing and it was super easy for you to build that up. Or right. you you have the backing of science behind you. And exactly. No judgment to a degree. But like <laughs> but like don't I like I think we need to just constantly remind ourselves that that's not real. You know, exactly. you hear yeah. all the time these celebrities who get in shape to do movies and how horrible it is and how unhealthy it is and how terrible yeah. it is. And they'll tell you how miserable they were. How miserable I mean, they, they are. That, yeah. And so like I I know several people that do do, you know, the the science pump let's call it yeah and i mean are they less miserable than someone who's trying to do it naturally i don't know but right i just think that comparing yourselves to people who do those things which is neither here nor there isn't fair for the rest of anyone who doesn't want to do that exactly i had actually asked my doctor right after um treatment if i should do that um to be clear we're talking about steroids uh, not, not meth. <laughs> right. There's a, a little Which bit. Which is a, a totally, uh, sometimes they, most of the times they go hand in hand, but like right now. <laughs> right. I'm not right. About. Um, so like I did ask her, I was like, should I, I was like, I kind of want to do a, a round like just to p- right. perk myself back up. And she was like, are you fucking crazy? No. <laughs> and I was like, why? And she gave me this rundown. I'll never forget it. And I repeat it to people all the time. And I sound like a fucking parrot. She's like, She's like, think about it. You're making your muscles bigger. What's a muscle? Your heart. Have you ever heard of someone who has an enlarged heart and what the fuck problems they have? She's right. like, get that out of your head right now and just go start eating well. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I have never. I love. I that. loved. My, I loved my oncologist because she would lay it down for me like that. <laughs> <laughs> I have never until that. Now I'm going to use that example anytime I talk to people because you don't think about that. No. Well, and I know two people right now both of whom who are users of the the science pump and they have both have heart attacks and oh. neither of them have any plans on stopping using sub- those substances there and, becomes that ad- addiction not as in physical but in the mental addiction and it. and one of them i know way better than the other one um and i met him at the summer 
resort camp thing. He's just the most lovely human and so kind and so beautiful, regardless of what he looks like. And he recently had a major cardiac event. He has like 50% usage of his heart. And I ran into them uh, overseas when I was visiting, just randomly ran into them for no reason. Like, it was just like, what are you doing here? (laughs) Um, It was so funny. And I asked him how he was doing and he kind of told me and said like, you know, they aren't really sure if it was like the partying or the drinking or the the steroids or whatever, but you know, I'm happy and I'm just going to keep living my life and not change a thing and whatever. And I was like, you're going to not change a thing. Wow. And that just made me so sad. And like, that's his, he's an adult. That's his judgment call. Right. I can do whatever, but it's just like, fuck man. Like he's not, I don't even think he's 50. And if he is, he's very wow. close to just having turned and like, yeah. F- like what? And so like, that is, I always hear my oncologist in my ear. Like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, right. Exactly. <laughs> it's amazing what we're willing to sacrifice for that, that thing that's put in us uh, in a culture especially in gay culture especially you know? in gay culture and it yeah. and it sucks it really sucks because i don't want to be judgmental of people because you know everyone is at where they're at right and yeah. like i judge myself sometimes but that's a totally different story <laughs> um but i i just my 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 default is to help someone and to like any way i can and so when i hear that that's happening it's just like oh i just want to I just want to tell you the things, but you know, again, they're adults. Right. They know they don't need me. I'm, exactly. not here to, I'm not here to be your, your savior or anything, but right. it's, it's and we scary. all know unless someone is, is ready to hear it, they're never going to hear it anyways. They're not going to. And it's, yeah. it, again, it's just, I, I love to, to look at like the, the historic context of how we behave as a community and is self-sabotage of generational trauma of, you know, other things that have happened and what is the need for acceptance and the price you're willing to pay for it despite all of that. And it's, it's like, you know, obviously so off topic, but um, you know, it's, it's something that I think we all look at and think about because it's in our face all the time. Yeah. Constant. And I think there has to be a layer, obviously we know a layer that's within the, the gay community that has almost always been there and it's almost like it would be helpful to us if we could dig backwards and figure out why is this? I mean, it also doesn't help. I mean, let's add all the layers. It doesn't help, you know, if you're in the industry. I lived in L.A. for a while. Uh, you're in the industry right there. You're in in New York. That's a whole other layer to this. whole other layer. Yeah. And it's because it's based on illusion. And yet we buy into the illusion and then we think. We must be this, and yet no one really is that. And if they are, not for long. Well, and it's. I think it's also um, um, the wanting to belong and the wanting to be part of something. And I think you know, from an outsider in a way, looking in because I don't do like the whole scene thing here, and I don't really go out or you know much of that. But it just kind of feels like unless you're like you know a big muscled up roided you know walking god or a drag queen, no one gives a shit about you. yeah exactly and and both of those things are fine and have their place and cool i'm I'm not i'm not here to say don't do it but what i'm saying is like i'm i'm very bored of seeing what people are calling representation in media yeah when really it's it's such a monolith 
And yes. there's so much more vibrance to the gay community than exactly. just being a gym bunny or a drag queen. Exactly. There's so much more nuance to it that we did. That's why when we, we launched everything, we talked about being for the rest of us because there's a whole group you know, that's like, there's more of us than there are of them. Exactly. (laughs) And so, but you know, it's what Hollywood is willing. It's what they think they can pass to middle America. And, uh, and you know, it's an, it's an interesting thing. One of the things coming from uh, a man who's, who was passionate about acting, you're passionate about uh, Broadway and all of that, that you talk in the book about how, I mean, it was a, it was a rough journey and you kind of lost caring about the very thing. And Newsies of was a moment. I know, I know I thought that too, but I, like, it was that moment where you were like, oh fuck, that's the fire. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, I've lost it again, but we're finding the way. <laughs> um, You'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> it's been an interesting roller coaster as the industry tends to be. But, right. Um, you know, it, it just was, it's part of that perspective change when you come out of something traumatic like that and having to face your mortality and have had a couple of moments where like you almost didn't make it. Um, and then going to auditions and singing and dancing on stage just feels like, fuck off, man. Like, what what right. are you doing? Like, Jesus. And then having that moment in the audience where I realized, you know, like I needed this so badly. Oh, wait, I'm not, this is not a singular situation. There are other people in this audience that needed this. And so they're two, four, when I am on stage in the other role of not being an audience member, someone else in the audience is needing what I'm giving. And I don't, and I don't even know it. It's in a way it's very thankless. Like, yes, you get your applause or whatever, but like all applause sounds the same. You know, yeah. until until someone reaches out to you and says, hey, exactly. And, and that's really what it's all about. But to kind of tie those two things in together, you know, the the trajectory for this book right now is that I am going to be turning it into a musical pilot for TV. Oh, I'm loving this. And we're like in the throes of getting all of that together. And I swear to God, there will not be a single like there will not be a single stereotype in this thing. <laughs> I, I love that that is in your, your realm. First of all, you do, I was going to uh, talk about, you do so much. Like yes. it, you have expanded <laughs> into as much of the entertainment world as you possibly can. How do you find time? I want to mention, I found, you know, your album and of course you do so many of your own podcasts as well. And now I didn't know about this, but you, you know, you're, you're working on putting this show together. Where do you find the energy one and the time? And does it fill you like, like you wanted it to before? This is such an <laughs> interesting line of uh, questioning here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think for me, it's like, I don't think I've ever been inhibited by my creativity. Like, and if I have, it was a short lived because it was like, Oh, I can't do that because people will, will get confused because they don't think that I do that. I, it's right. always just kind of been like, I want to do this. So let's do it. And I'll figure it out. And I learned, you know, logic and garage band and like all of the things. And I found a mixer and I send him off. Like he's a brilliant engineer and I send him all my things and, songwriting and music is in my background with my dad and my mom and you know I grew up with it and so it's an it's not I don't want to say it's easy but it's not a task right and 
you know, being a millennial, we've all been trained and brainwashed into monetizing our hobbies. And so that was kind of like the thing that I will spend money on and don't expect to get any money back from because I love it and it makes me happy. And I actually have a new track coming out soon that I'm so excited about. Um, And I, if I can, I will briefly tell the story about it. Yeah. Um, When I was a kid, um, my dad used to record bands in our basement. He had this little rinky dink, like reel to reel studio with a little mixer that was used that he got secondhand. And, you know, I think he would charge like $30 an hour for people to come and, and record their demos in his, in his basement, right. whatever. And so we had this band come in, I think it was 1992, one or two, something like that uh, called Echolalia. And they were this, this three or four person band and the front person the singer was a woman who in my six-year-old eyes looked like a barbie doll um i don't even think i was six i might have been five i don't know i think this was like preschool um and there were two songs on this demo that just has stuck with the whole family ever since and like every couple of years we'll bring it up and every couple of years we'll have a laugh and then we'll go digging for the demo and we won't be able to find it and so whatever and so something about this year just made me want to hunt down these people and I was talking to my dad about it and I he, I he was like, oh, this person's name. He like went into the archives and he found the person's name and I found them on social media and I sent them a message. And I never heard from him. And then after like a month, all of a sudden, this woman contacts my dad out of nowhere to ask him for something that he would be able to help her with, with her new band. And he was like, oh, yeah sure cool um also my kid messaged you about this song and she was like what and he's like wait so you messaged me not knowing that whatever and so we got in touch and we talked about it and i got permission to cover this song and it was very like 90s like you know grungy party of five vibes nice and i've completely turned it on its head it's like this epic like anime theme now Oh, that's awesome. It's so fun. It's called Bubble Magic. It's coming out this month. I'm so excited about it. I was going to say, yeah, when is it? Yeah, I don't have a date. Exa- I need to check on the yeah. date. I don't know. But I'm I'm very, very excited and very proud of it. And it's just, <laughs> it's it's a 30-year passion project in the making. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love. See, and it should always have, I don't care how long it's been going, we should always have those moments. But uh, speaking of that, and that you do all of these things, uh, will you tell our listeners where they can find like podcasts, your one-stop shop, your music and everything? Oh my God. All the things. Yes, I absolutely will. But I, <laughs> I before I do, I want to tie yeah. this back to, to what your last question was. Cause I didn't yeah. answer it. Um, I You're think so good. I'm, okay. I'm like, <laughs> thank you. Um, I just, I want to answer your questions. Um, the energy part of it is, is hard you know like i don't want to sit here and be like oh my god i love doing it so it's so easy it's not there are days where i want to like curl up on the floor and and hide and i don't want to talk to anyone um but i think especially this year and particularly with the book it's been easier to do because it's it's a straight shot and in my mind it's just like this is where we're going and it's so easy to like to do it when that's the case and so then I question if I would do that with everything else I do, would it also right. be easy? Um, and so it's it's not so much the, a question of time. It's a question of priority. And so right. for me, 
the book and everything around it and what I want to do with it is a priority for me. And so I set time aside to do things like this, to do the pitch deck for it, right. to do meetings and calls and, and talks with people that I want to work with who are going to come on board and who, you know, could potentially lead to other investors and, and whatever. Right. Um, and so it's what I want to do and nothing is going to take that priority. And so it's just figuring out, you know, if it's not a priority, maybe you need to find a way to make it one, or maybe this right. isn't the thing, right. you know, but there's also another weird layer to this too, where this being the second iteration of this book, the first one having been self-published, you know, I spent no money on it and I just kind of like put it up online. I was like, I wrote a book and I got right. some track, I got some traction with it and it was fine, but I didn't do anything about it after that, partially because it was brought to my attention that there were typos and there were fuck ups in the manuscript. And, you know, of course there were because I spent zero dollars on a right. I had friends do it and all of the corrections that they made on paper, I was transferring to a document digitally it didn't save correctly or I sent the wrong thing. And by the time they had all printed, it was too late. And so I just kind of hit it for years. Yeah. And this year being my 10 year, it was just this snap decision to be like, you know what? I'm going to fucking do this the right way. And, and here we are. And I did, I hired, I got a publisher. I hired a publicist and um, you know, I've been doing this like digital book tour podcast venture for the last, which I love. And you're very last. entertaining <laughs> you, when you watch all of them. Also, I want to speak really quick too. I think if you, I call it vision, but priority is, is more accurate. But when you have priority and the big vision of what you want, it almost has uh, an energy of its own that helps move us along. It really when, does. You know, on those days when you don't have the energy. If you have those two things, it pushes you. And also to, I, I don't, I question whether or not I've had that before. I don't think I have, at least not yeah. in this way. There's something else that's pulling this along for me. Um, and I don't know, I can't explain it. It's just not like, it's, it's nothing like I felt about other projects I've done in the past. Yeah. And it just is so clear to me that like, this is, this is what we're doing and nothing is getting in the way of it. And um, nothing seems to be. Getting I, in the I, way. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> um because i am unemployed right now and that is also another reason why i have the time <laughs> right, right exactly well frantically so tell... looking for a job right now <laughs> oh, it's so... and what a great market to do it in i mean it's, oh, it's fuck it's, me it's, i know i know right what would you say uh to like our listeners who are now going to to read this book what would what do you want them to know what would you from your mouth to their ears what would you want them to know that you've learned Learned about what? Like learned about just about the human spirit and how you have come to this space in your life. Like okay. what did? Because cancer is is a lot. It's you know I I think at this point I lost my dad to it. We all have some connection to it. Uh, but you know you have found your your spirit has found its way to this point um, because it can get life cancer or not life can vary us at times. What would you want people to know? Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, the whole cancer affecting everyone thing, I just, I really just feel compelled to say, like, I just lost a friend this week from cancer oh. and I didn't even know he had it. He did exactly what I did and he only told right. certain people and I totally respect and wow. understand why. Right. Um, but Brad Bradley, he was a big Broadway guy and was such a, such a treasure of a human, the nicest person you've ever met. And he passed this, this week, which is still wow. unbelievable to me. 
Um, and so, yes, it does affect everyone at some point and, you know, some, some more than others, because he's been around for decades and has had a huge pool of impact. Um, and just what, what a star, um, you know, original cast, I think of Steel Pier 1987, like, wow. just incredible, anyway, an incredible human, but all of that to say that I think what I would want to convey to everyone is that you're never stuck and you always have the choice. And you know, like none of us get out of here alive and you don't get it. You don't get a do over. So like, if you hate where you're at, you can change it. And that's going to be harder for some people than for others, you know, because then there's of course the, the conversation of privilege. Um, but I have backed myself into financial roughness many a time. And every single time, you know, the choice that you make to get out of it, leads to the next one leads to the next one and you can have very much very similarly to how i was talking about the book and the clear vision of the momentum forward you can do that for anything you yeah. know it just depends on your circumstances and it depends on you know what you want and if you hate your job leave it if you don't like the friends you have and they're not making you happy leave them like you know and again the archy of privilege of course comes into this conversation right. but you are able to choose. Exactly. And in the end, I always uh, tell people, because I get it as well, but the only limits we have are those that we accept on ourselves. Exactly. And yeah, some people have a harder push, but we all have the ability. Nothing's impossible. It just the level of work sometimes can be. Well, awful. and it's also, I like that you said what we accept because it is kind of yeah. like, it, it is kind of like that sit down with yourself and have a moment and be like, what am I accepting in my life that I don't want? Right. And then weeding that out. And it's scary. You know, I had a really long conversation with a friend of mine in the beginning of the pandemic. I was so lucky. Two of my best friends lived within two blocks of me. Oh, one wow. of one of my other best friends lived just across the park from me. And I knew people in my neighborhood that weren't like friends, but I, you know, we'd check in with each other. Right. And so I had this really great cushion of people around me. And I had mentioned this to one of my friends at one point, And he was like, I don't have that. And I don't know anyone who does. And you're so lucky oh. to have that. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Cause yeah. I just always, I just always assumed that everyone had like their right. little pod and like you were, that was your people. Right. And I think especially in the gay community, that's less true now. Um, yes. And that comes down to a much longer conversation about community and the need for it versus right. the want for it. Exactly. Um, you know, and that's a conversation for another time, but <laughs> for um, a sequel podcast, right? And of <laughs> course, like making choices that um that are are scary are harder to make. You know, if leaving the friends you have because they're not treating you how you want to be treated, etc., and you have no right. one else, like of course that's going to be a difficult decision to make. Right. But you know, again, none of us get out of here alive, and so no. intentionally living the life that you want for yourself is where it's at because it was, it's only been within the last year or two that I've really realized that I'm, I do not have the life I want right? and I'm not accepting that anymore. And that's, I think personally, that's exactly where it's at. Now, before uh, we let you go, please tell people where they can learn everything there is to know about it. Yes. Circling back to that. <laughs> <laughs> I can go off on tangents. I'm so sorry. I'm me too. I'm I can there. talk I'm forever. There. <laughs> um yeah so you can find me on all the socials at edward miskey that's youtube instagram tiktok uh facebook um instagram is and tiktok are my two 
ones that I, I paid the most attention to. Um, you can also stalk me a little bit on edwardmiskey.com. I also have a link tree that's just slash Edward Miskey. There's yeah. lots of things there. Um, you know, find Bubble Magic on Spotify and yes. listen to it. I hope that it'll be out by the time this lands. Um, also, my po- my podcast with my friend Sarah is called I Want to Be a Rich Bitch. It just landed this week. We're having so much fun with it. We're starting our guests oh. soon. We have some celebrity guests coming up, which we're really excited nice. about. Um, you know, and it's just, yeah, find me. <laughs> and do, and it's it's worth it. You also, uh, I was watching some of the um, How to Be a Big Deal. And I'm like, well, this is this is right up my alley. Yeah, well, yes. funnily, funnily enough, How to Be a Big Deal was a red herring. I did that as a test run for I Want to Be a Rich Bitch. It was well, kind of is, like, yeah. It was kind of like the content, the content form of it and all of that. I was just right. building it. I was building it to yeah. build it and see the pieces that I needed and how I wanted it to look aesthetically. But I'm all right. of that's gonna be offline and we're we're moving it over to uh to Rich. You Rich. have a great way of titling these things. Because that those those titles are exactly what people are like, oh, I need to listen, listen yeah. to this. So well, and how to how to be a big deal will probably live in some other capacity because right? like, and, because I do, I do stand by that title. It's good. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, uh, well, and you're embodying, it might not be, uh, you know, this podcast that continues into the future, but you embody that exact phrase. And so that's what people are going to take away, well, especially listening to the new podcast. Yes. Well, and, and also like, you know, how to be a big deal. Again, I want it to continue on in some capacity, which I will get to eventually, but you know, rich bitch is the focus. However, yes. like being a big deal doesn't mean Beyonce, but it's kind right. of, it's carrying yourself and treating yourself as if though you were exactly you know, yeah. like Taylor Swift, that shit, you know, like, yes, just think about like, <sighs> two of the things i i'm gonna go off on this forever i'm so sorry (laughs) feel feel free to edit this out if you need to um but like taylor swift's long game i will talk about this forever in a day you know the planning the foresight the specificity of every single thing that she does when she releases something right the hints the like all of that that is how you're a big deal and you don't need to be taylor swift to do that you can sit down with a spreadsheet and figure it out yourself and it's just the elevation of who you are to who you want to be. Exactly. And there, again, there are no limits. You, None. yeah, it's, it's all, we all have life in our hands. And I think that's amazing. I do want to remind our listeners that uh, you do want to read this book, trust me, because I've enjoyed it uh, very much. Cancer, Musical Theater, and Other Chronic Illnesses by Edward Miskey. It's a really good read. Don't let cancer things scare you off. It's 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 amazing, and the story is important. Um, and a lot of the lessons that you know everybody takes it in. And I know when I I overthink everything, and so I always get some good things. Uh, there's something for everybody. So please, you can get it. Uh, I got it on Amazon, so you can get it anywhere. So uh, yeah, so Barnes and Noble, sure Amazon, Apple Books, all of the things. And if you're it's, in New York or coming to New York, you can get it at the Drama Bookshop on West 39th Street. Exactly, which I feel is a victory. I just huge, love huge that victory. Huge yeah, victory. Yeah. Well, thank you, sir, for taking time uh, to be with us. I know it's like a whole three-hour difference over in New York, um, but I know I. New York's on fire. I'm not going outside. It's all. Oh, good. this is true. This is true. You can't breathe out there anyway. Right. So I'm holding up in my apartment. <laughs> 
But thank you. And then uh, I have a feeling I will be talking to you again in the future. You've got a lot going on. So I hope so. You will. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you, Jonathan. You too. Bye, everyone. We will see you next week. Remember, this show drops on Tuesdays at thequeercentric.com. And as always, we love you. Bye. One, two, three.